You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA, the athletic Sam Amick joins us. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the league. We get to do big picture. There's no games uh, until tonight. They'll finally all start tonight. Sam, let me start with your Dell Demps piece. Um, just the, the mess that is going on in New Orleans. You dug into what really took place there. The question I have on it, it felt to me when it was going on, and it feels to me more so now, it kind of reconfirmed. I have a feeling that the that Gail Benson may have told Dell Demps, you're not allowed to do a deal by the trade deadline. When I talked to teams around the league and proposed and talked to people and said, well, what about this? They said, well, New Orleans isn't even listening. Do you think that there's a chance that the front office, that the ownership had decided we're not making a deal because the guy who's making the deal is going to be somebody else? Very possible. I don't know that independently. Um, if that were the case, that would fall in line with, you know, I did, like the characterization that I've been hearing about Gail in terms of the way she's operating right now, which is to say, you know, grabbing control of the situation, being very involved, very proactive. She's attending every home game. You know, even that night uh, when A.B. left the game in the third quarter uh, in that Oklahoma City game, you know, it was it was Gail's kind of reaction to the optics of that moment that, you know, that played a part in, uh, in the way things were handled with Dell. And so I think she is tired of the, the franchise's brand kind of getting dragged through the mud. And with Dell – you know, I mean, they were in a position where, you know, you probably wanted to hear everything that came your way leading up to the trade deadline. And then if there was something that, you know, that was just absolutely can't say no to, then maybe, you know, they would have done it. But uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I think, you know, we've known for a long time that Dell was in trouble. And, and obviously now they made a change. Do you just fundamentally on a basketball standpoint, was it the right move to not trade Anthony Davis at the deadline? Well, I mean, I don't know how to answer that because I think so. Because waiting for Boston, I think, is a pragmatic move. Um, waiting for the next pick is a pragmatic move. Waiting, you know, the Lakers deal would likely still be there this summer. But, you know, I, I kept saying that if they traded him, I thought it would be, at the time, it would largely be driven by the human component because of how uncomfortable the situation is and potentially could be. And now we're seeing that play out. So, I mean, is it the best move for basketball purposes? Not really. I mean, because, it, it, again, it's really messy right now, and they're having to deal with the fallout. And we still don't even have clarity. You know, I mean, last I was told, which was yesterday, uh, Rich Paul is still evaluating the situation and figuring out how much AD wants to play, is going to play. I don't know, the Pelicans went into the break saying the same thing, that they were reevaluating kind of the, the way they were going to handle it. So the messiness was always the price you were going to have to pay to wait. But I, I still probably would fall on the side of saying that waiting was the right move. Clutch sports doesn't look good from an outside standpoint. I'm sure there's some media members who think they look fine. Um, what do you think other players think of the way this Anthony Davis – situation has been handled in regards to their evaluation if they use clutch sports in the future? Uh, the way you frame that, I think, is accurate. I actually just got off the phone a little bit ago with an agent who was being very critical of the handling of it. And listen, agent on agent 
kind of slander is a pretty regular thing, but um, I think some of this stuff is irrefutable. Things like, all right, the, these, the list comes out, the AD list that has four teams on it. Milwaukee, New York, um, Lakers, and Clippers. The list, for a lot of people, myself included, just looked like a, a paper tiger because three of those four teams at the time didn't have the assets to even trade for AD. It, it looked like you were trying to disguise the fact that this was all about the Lakers by putting three other kind of fake teams on there. Now, granted, the Clippers-Tobias Harris trade gave them the kind of assets where they could have gotten in late, but that, that wasn't the case when the list came out. Then AD, and this, this all speaks to the messiness that you're talking about with the way it was handled. You know, then AD goes to All-Star Weekend. It's never a great look when the client, the player, is saying one thing that is not consistent with what's been kind of getting put out there by his camp. So when AD comes out and says, Boston's been on my list the whole time, and, and then he, you know, kind of plays that game away, it's, it's all 29 teams outside of New Orleans. But the Boston thing, that wasn't a great look at all because, you know, th- this list was widely reported as like a hard thing that was kind of written in stone. And, and now you're coming out saying Boston was there the whole time after your father kind of, you know, said some negative things about the Celtics in the media. So just messy, just super messy and, uh, and still unclear where it's all going. The list is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm just going to say it. New York, and, after and, they've traded Porzingis, um, Milwaukee, who can't make the deal. But let's find the small market team that can't make the deal, put them in there so it looks like a realistic. And let's find the small market team that's winning so it looks like we're only about winning. I mean, it was such right. bull crap. Right. It was insulting to anyone who's paying attention that you would put it out and think that anyone would fall for it. The list really infuriated me as someone following. Let's go big picture. Okay, 18 months left on a contract. Anthony Davis is now going to be sitting out, I think, for the rest of the year or something of the sort. Just hardly playing. 24 months left in a contract. Kawhi Leonard just sat out for an entire season. Like we can all pretend. But he set out for an entire season on his own, right. used an injury in a unique manner. But the Spurs said a million times he's available to play, and he hasn't been bothered by it this year. So he sat out an entire year, in my opinion. Like, Paul George kind of did something along the way where he basically, with 12 months left, said, I'm not staying. Like, this is not great. I don't know what the answer is. I'm kind of okay with the player empowerment but there is a really incredible disregard to the idea that you have any obligation as a player to the document that you have signed yeah i don't know the solution there's varying degrees of you know kind of trying to take the right word there degrees of just intensity on approach so paul george's situation i probably have the least problem with of them all um I actually would contend. It, it always did bother me that that the Pacers acted as if, you know, that, that they, they were caught unawares and, and they were the victims in that situation when, in fact, it's like the guy gave you a, a year to figure out what you want to do. And, and I think in the end, as we know, they did really well. Nobody thought they did at the time, but they did well. Um, you know, there's another part of me that says that historically we've seen plenty of this stuff before. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just did interviews over All-Star Weekend talking about, you know, 
how his situation was almost identical to AD, except that he didn't leak it publicly. Now, we had no social media at that time, but, you know, Kareem went to the Bucks and told them, I have no intention of signing a new contract with you. I would like to go play in L.A., or, which surprised everybody, apparently Washington was also on that list. So, I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, it's just louder now because of the way the world works and social media, the Internet, and the kind of 24-7 reality. So I don't know how Adam Silver navigates all these waters. Uh, I think that, you know, fans are going to get tired of it because the guy signed for five years, and if things aren't going wonderfully, you can plan on him heading for the exit to year three. You know, that's tough. You know, Damian Lillard is, is still kind of holding strong. In Portland, just did an interview with Chris Haynes of Yahoo the other day saying that, that you know, he wasn't kind of trying to do that anytime soon. But he's the next guy that everybody's going to look at. He's got two years left on his deal after this season. So it's, it's certainly a theme. It's interesting. You know, the irony is that maybe the most, the worst thing you can do is what Chris Bosh and Gordon Hayward did, which is actually fulfill your contract when you may actually have known the whole time you were never staying and then your team is left in a lurch, right? Like, there's the irony of it all. Is the other that's what I mean, yeah. Like, you can't get mad at both. I mean, you know, that's why, admittedly, I mean, listen, the Gordon thing, the Kevin Durant thing, like, the guys played their contracts out and they left. You know, and I understand Gordon's was, go back to that word, Gordon's was messy on the day of, on that July 4th. Um, you know, Durant's was maybe a little messy because he said a lot of things late in the process that strongly indicated that he was coming back to OKC. But, you know, it, it really, if I was a superstar, I would definitely be in that camp that feels like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because people get mad at you when you just, you don't make the free agency pick that they wanted you to make, and then they get mad at you if you kind of orchestrate it in a way that the team gets something back. You know, that's where if the Pelicans play this correctly, like let's say they do the Boston deal. You know, come on. Nobody thought AD was returning within the last year and a half. People have generally believed he was on his way out of town because, you know, granted them getting some success in the playoffs last year did matter, but then they lost to Marcus, then they lost Rondo, and so we felt like he was kind of fait accompli that he was leaving. So if they do the Boston trade, get back this haul of assets this summer, then did he really do the franchise wrong? Because that's a whole lot better than him just kind of skipping town two summers from now. Sam Amick, the athletic, is with us. We'll continue. We'll look at the Eastern Conference race and the MVP race and some of the fun big-picture topics, and we continue here. Locked on NBA with the Athletics, Sam Amick. Remember, Adam and Anthony tomorrow, and all you have to do is get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast, Locked on NBA. Who is the best team in the Eastern Conference? Who is your favorite to go to the NBA Finals out of the Eastern Conference? You know... Man, I'm I'm gonna go with the I've been saying the Bucks. I got asked that earlier today. I just feel like I gotta finally give them their just due. Toronto's been wonderful, but they they've been a little bit of a two track team. When Kawhi hasn't played, they're very good, and then they're good with Kawhi, but they're different. Um, I just I, that's a little bit wonky to me how they operate, and they've had to to kind of vacillate between those two versions all year long. If that makes sense, um, you know Boston's playing better of late got all the locker room issues in Philly, I think it's potentially got a very high ceiling, but I need to see that new group together more. Milwaukee is, is just been kind of steady as she goes. And, you know, they're leading the league in point differential. They're up, I think they're number one in net rating by a 
pretty significant margin. So all the analytics are in their favor, and they have a guy that certainly could be the MVP in Giannis. And uh, so I mean, I got to say the Bucks. Now they don't have. It's you know maybe I'll look stupid because they don't have the playoff experience that typically gets you to the finals, gets you to where they want to go. But they look like the best team to me. Why do I? Why do I think Boston should still be the favorite? Am I nuts on this? No, I just. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because you and I have like different tilts on our places in the media. Meaning, that, I mean, you're certainly you you got more substance on the bone when it comes to breaking this stuff down all the time from an analytical standpoint, and that's one of your strong suits. I might be guilty of getting a little too caught up in the soap opera because I do, you know, focus a lot on the, the personal dynamics that come with these teams. And so for me, with Boston, it's just kind of like when those moments happen, when it's the Eastern Conference Finals and you got to get over the hump and try to get into the finals against the Warriors, you know, are you all on the same page enough as a group and as a unit to, to kind of pull that off. And when I ask that question, all I can think about is Kyrie doing weekly interviews about his latest leadership style and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum not knowing what their exact roles are. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just, there's a lot going on there. So I don't trust them as much. All right. So I, I 100% agree with you, but let's dig into this. First of all, they're the most talented team, right? In the East? Yeah. Like, they have the most talent. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I like Philly's got a lot of talent. Philly's top four is close, if not better, though some serious flaws in it. Um, but four, five through nine's not even close, right? Right, right. The, no, you're right. The reason I didn't like Boston when the year started is because they were a bad offensive team. That's not true anymore. They started the year right. terribly. They're in November, they were the ninth best offense. In December, they were the second best. In January, they were the sixth best. And in February, they've been the third best. So if they're good yeah, off... Yeah, I'm looking at it here. They're ninth for the year. Yeah, or depending on... Yeah, right. Uh, is that the NBA.com? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, okay, so they're, they're now a top 10 offense that's getting better. To me, like that's... And they're great defensively. That's what they had to do. And I, I 100% agree with you on this idea of all the drama, but doesn't that go away once you get into the playoffs? Doesn't Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown might, and Terry yeah. Rozier stop hijacking possessions from their teammates once the possession, once the playoffs start? Yeah, and I think that applies. I mean, I should probably use my Warriors logic and apply it to the Celtics because that has been my feeling on Golden State is the idea that, you know, all the dream on Kevin stuff, even DeMarcus stuff, is the dynamics change when you all have a shared goal and it's time to, to put in six weeks of work to try to get a job done. I think, you know, for sure, it, it, most of that goes away. So I, I feel like, you know, and I don't mean this, this, sound, this will sound wrong, but, like, if Brad's all that Brad's supposed to be, then they should be rolling. Sure. What do you not like? I mean, I shouldn't say not like, but what what has you putting Boston at the front of that line as opposed to, you know, let's hit the rewind button on my Bucks take. You know, what what don't you like about Milwaukee in the postseason? Well, let me start with Toronto for a second. Um, Toronto is actually the team who all year long I thought was the best. Toronto's looked better to me than any team I've seen all year long 
the Warriors looked great for three minutes. The game we saw the other night, like they just had a three-minute span where Draymond was unbelievable for three minutes. Kevin hit a bunch of shots, Steph hit a shots, and they win because that's what they do. But to me, the two times I saw Toronto in person, they just were amazing. The problem I have with Toronto, and I know you asked about Milwaukee, but let me just answer this, is if I look at them compared to last year, they're less good offensively and they're less good defensively this year under Nick Nurse than they were last year under Dwayne Casey. And yet we're giving them a total pass. And to me, right. that, that jumps out a little bit. Like, they're not a better team sure. than they were a year ago. Now, No, yeah, I'm on board with that for sure. I felt like we forget that that was the best Raptors season in franchise history last year during the regular season. And they were tremendous. You know, and, and now I, we are giving a pass. I, I do. I'm a big believer in the fact that, you know, and I loved Mark DeRozan's game. Um, and I love his makeup as a person, but Kawhi and Danny Green, you know, they've both been to the top of the mountain. I think that is going to help Toronto once they hit the playoffs. So to Milwaukee, there's absolutely not a thing statistically out there that says that you we shouldn't buy them completely. Every other team in the history of the NBA that's had their makeup has been NBA Finals worthy, right? Like it, and and it's to me, it's very reminiscent of the Warriors' first year, where everyone's trying to find things were wrong about them, and then you just looked and you're like, okay, they're the number one, two, number two offensive team, number one defensive team, and like the last team to be one and one was the Bulls, and then the Warriors did it with seventy three wins. Like those teams go to the finals, so there's absolutely nothing to me that says that they shouldn't go to the finals, other than I think Boston just might have more talent. Right. Like I'm not I don't trust Eric Bledsoe a great deal. Um Middleton hasn't been there. Like star to star, Giannis to Kyrie, then Al Horford to Brooke Lopez and you know, is Jason Tatum I mean if Boston's as good as everyone all these guys are, they're just better. Yeah, I mean yeah, but Giannis is a game changer. I'm excited to see, you know, kind of this version of him after an entire season worth of elite play. I mean he's he's had fantastic years before, but this is Bonkers, you know. I'm curious. I don't know if this was on the docket to talk about today, but feel free to help me with my latest MVP view. You know, looking at Giannis and Harden, and to a lesser degree, Paul George. But Giannis, being as special as he has been on both ends of the floor, uh, I think you know that's going to be the type of thing that could cancel out some of the Boston stuff that, that you're throwing out there. Because I agree with you, but nobody in that you know with with green on or, or I guess bright green versus uh, the dark green has got anything close to what Giannis is bringing to the table. Let's talk about that when we continue. Locked on NBA, the MVP. It's going to be one of the most fun discussions for the next 20-some-odd days. Uh, We'll continue it with Sam Amick coming up of The Athletic. Remember, your local favorite NBA team has a podcast as well. Just tell your smart device inside your car to play your favorite team's Locked On podcast. Say the keyword, then say play latest episode of podcast Locked On Bucks, if you're per se a Bucks fan. Back with more with Sam in just a second. I've seen Giannis in person once this year, watched him. You know, he's much watched TV. In person, the game I watched of Giannis, to me, showed his greatness, Sam. The Jazz did something interesting. They had Rudy Gobert guard Giannis, and they had Rudy Gobert never leave the paint. Never. And it made Giannis so uncomfortable. He had, I, I 
I, I, I think he probably, if, he, if you asked him, he would probably say it was probably one of the most difficult games he's had all year. He didn't look comfortable. He didn't get to where he wanted to go. He couldn't get to the rim. All these things. And I think he, I'd have to go back and look, but I think he finished the night with, on 13 of 30 shooting. So he had a miserable night, and he's finished with 30 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, 2 blocks, and was just still incredible. I, I think I saw him on his worst night of the year, and he went 30 and 10. Right. No, he's wild. He's wild. So you're making me feel good about my choice uh, on, on my travel schedule. I, I had to make a choice the other day. Tell me, and I can still change it, so I'm willing All to right. listen. But I had, I'm going to Boston for the Sloan Conference, so I'm looking forward to that. But before going... I had Milwaukee coming through Sacramento. This is next Wednesday. And then the other plan B potentially was rather than stay home and catch the Bucks against a Kings team that, as you know, is more competitive than we thought they would be. So that, that might actually be a good game. Uh, the Lakers are hosting the AD or, or AD less Pelicans, one of the two, down in L.A., which on paper looks like must-see TV, but, you know, because of all the drama. But he might not even be out there. So – I was leaning hard towards catching Giannis in person, like you're talking about. Is, is that the right move there? It is the right move because I think you're going to end up spending most of the last 10 days of the season in L.A. I don't think they're right. going to make the play. That's a good point. I, I, yeah, I know. The Lakers and Clippers, I, so I did on Locked on Jazz today, if anyone is a Western Conference fan, doesn't mind a total geek fest, I went through using 538's probability and broke every team's games into, um, you know, 80 to 100% win percentages, you know, have to win, um, likely to win, pick'ems, likely to lose, no chance, right? And broke them in by win probability in the five games and, and have done this now for three years, so I kind of know the win prob- what the actual win probability is, if that makes sense. Just work with me. Yeah. Um, I don't have the Lakers making the playoffs. Like, I... Okay. Like they, the I have, have I have the Clippers getting to forty five wins. Now we're going to know a lot Does about the Clippers in the next week. The Clippers open up with Nuggets, Mavericks, Jazz, Kings, Knicks, Lakers, Thunder, Celtics. They go one and something. But I don't know if we done. will. I hear you. I hear you. I don't know if we will completely though, because I feel like they might put on a good show until the last ten days, and. They have a fascinating kind of internal situation because the front office, you know, is looking at it and they lose their first round pick if they make the playoffs. You know that. But then Doc Rivers is, you know, a championship level coach and you got all these kind of, you know, gritty players on that roster who aren't really going to listen to some GM, Lawrence Frank, Michael Winger, any of them, maybe even Jerry West, you know, who tells them, hey, can you dial it back a little bit? We want to keep our kick. I just, I can't figure out how to, bring that part into the equation when I try to see if, if they're going to make the playoffs or not. Well, they might decide the third to last regular season game they play the Lakers. Okay. I mean, they could probably decide it there. They don't have right. – they have a middle section of games that they're going to win. Yeah. Um, so – and I think it's pretty hard to get a team to, to get Doc to dial it back right now. Like, this is the stretch where – if they can go beat, you know, steal one or two of these games, they have open with the Grizzlies, get that, get Dallas, beat the Kings. They play the Lakers on the fourth of March. If they get, if they get three or four of those in there, 
They're a playoff team. It, the The Lakers are interesting because the Lakers have 16 games they play where their win probability is between 40 and 80%. And they're going to have to go about 12 and 4, 13 and 3 in those games. That's going to be tough. Well, and they've got, you talking about the Boston dynamic in their locker room um, and, and the human component. I mean, the Lakers have the same thing. You know, LeBron tried to put a good face on it today, meeting with the media, uh, or this week rather, and I'll just, I'll believe it when I see it because I can't remember a situation where so many guys inside one locker room were publicly put on the trading block and then within a matter of days asked to wear that jersey and go get that franchise to a a, you know, a, a challenging playoff berth. So I think that's not helping them at all. The two scenarios there are the Lakers don't make the playoffs with LeBron, which is a mammoth story, or the Lakers open with the Warriors. Right, which is, I mean, and if they find, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say the dynamics end up being healthier than we thought they would be, and they catch fire, you know, then I'm not about to sit here and say it's, it's going to be a real first-round series. But, you know, if all those young guys are looking across the way to see the Warriors and, and they're feeling pretty good about themselves and LeBron's playing LeBron basketball, I mean, that's going to be a more compelling A1 than, than we're typically used to seeing. I don't think the Lakers or Clippers can get to seven from the work I did today. I think the Spurs are pretty well set at seven. So that'll I, I have the Spurs coming in around 47 wins as the seven seed. See, I'm not buying – I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm not buying the Clippers, but but we'll see. I, I went back to look here. I mean, they're 2-2 two and two since the trade. Um, you know, and they, they lost to Andy in Minnesota. They beat Boston, which is a great win. And, you know, Montrose Harrell, Harrell had 21 in that game. And then they beat Phoenix. So they have one win since dealing Tobias Harris that, that gets anybody's attention, and that's a big one. But – just not in that out. I just don't know how they have the talent to keep one in enough games to uh, to get this thing done. Probably matters whether how Danilo plays. And unfortunately, as much as the Kings have been a great story, their schedule is brutal. And I don't think I think they're out with a week to go or so. So I don't think they're able to hold it together. Sam, great work. We always appreciate. It. Keep up the work. What's coming up at the Athletic? Uh, we'll see what's next. We got this little lull here that's you know makes it a little, little tricky to pick storylines. But I pumped out a column today, kind of analyzing. Uh, I don't normally do the like pet peeve column, David. You know me well enough. But <laughs> I shared a few thoughts about about Adam Silver's handling of tampering, uh, Kevin Durant's handling of the media, and Magic Johnson's handling of, of all of his employees. So, uh, I, I kind of an angst ridden column with me sharing a few thoughts about how they might handle those situations differently. And from there, uh, just kind of see what's coming next. And tip of the hat, tip of the hat to locked on Bucks host, Eric name, who did a really interesting piece on the athletic about GM Wayne Embry discussing acquiring Oscar Robertson, trading Kareem and playing one-on-one with Julius Irving. So catch that locked on Bucks host, Eric name did a great piece on that as well. That's all at the athletic. This has been locked on NBA. Now go find your favorite team's podcast by just telling your smart device to play podcast locked on whatever it might be. Have a great day.